Hello, Church of the Beloved. Thanks so much for joining us today to worship and to wonder in the glory of Christ and the good news of Jesus. My name is Abe. I am the pastor for the Wicker Park campus. I want to mention to you that this study in the book of Colossians has had a bit of a special place for me. As I've been praying for all the different campuses, um, similar to Paul, I've not had the opportunity to meet the majority of you at our downtown or our South Loop campuses. So my prayers for all of you have been wholly based on uh, reports back from, our, from your campus pastors, Pastor Bryanton, Pastor Steve. So they've kind of been like a Epaphras to me, servants of Christ who are always struggling on your behalf in their prayers and their efforts, and that each campus might stand fully mature and assured in all the will of God. I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm in any way like Paul in character, word, or deed, but, but I, I can bear witness that pastors uh, Brian and Steve, they have been working hard for each of their campuses, as well as for the sake of our church as a whole. Now, before we dive into today's message, I want to have you guys join with me just in a quick word of prayer. Will you pray with me? Almighty God, thank you so much for this opportunity for us to dive deep into this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae, and I pray that the words I speak now may be wholly yours and not mine. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. So, at the beginning of June, a few weeks ago, uh, at the first Sunday of the month, the uh, leaders of the Wicker Park campus, after the 1130 live stream, we set out to visit almost 30 of our households in the Wicker Park campus to pray with and partake in communion together. Uh, Pastor Chris and our deacon Joanne, they set out by car, one going as far as Naperville. And Pastor Otua and my wife and I, we set out by foot because we don't have cars. Uh, and we set out in multiple directions, each having been assigned different homes to visit and celebrate communion with in community. You see, it's been such a long time since we were able to take the bread that represents Christ's body broken for us and and drink of the cup that represents Christ's blood spilled for us together that I decided, you know what, I'm just going to go and anyone who accepts our invitation, we're going to go to their homes, walk there, and celebrate communion together. Because it is in fellowship with believers. It's, It's when we... Don't neglect to gather together safely and with appropriate social distance that we can be an encouragement to each other and encourage each other. As they say, we're all in this together. Uh, I'm going to explain later why I share this story, but I want to say that today's passage, today's message, it closes out this letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. Um, And thanks to Matt from South Loop for reading the scripture today. It's always fun when you have to uh, pronounce ancient names like Tychicus and Aristarchus and Luke. Uh, This letter follows, you know, a pretty standard ancient template. You you have your uh, acknowledgement of who wrote it in the beginning. You have your greeting to the people that you're intending to read it. You have the meat of the actual letter itself. And then you have this closing piece that typically includes some shout-outs to a few people as well as a final blessing. To give a little background, a little insight into the process I went through to today, uh, prepare for today's message. Uh, the pastors at the Church of the Beloved, we strive to be only gospel-centered, which means that we preach the truth of the Word of God without addition and without correction. 
So as I started to prepare for today, I was thinking, well, I was a little skeptical because I was like, I don't know what kind of gospel truth I'm going to be able to preach on from a couple of, you know, good job and keep the faith kind of tags you would typically see at the end of a letter. But as I dove into this passage, as I unpacked these 11 verses, I started to realize there are so many true, so many divinely inspired lessons that could be gleaned from this that I had to start thinking about, okay, what do I not include? What do I, what do I not mention? So today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to share three concepts, three ideas that are underneath an umbrella over a bigger idea. Um, and I want to start off by just sharing that big idea and then dive into those three ide- concepts underneath it. So the main point, the big idea behind it is this, simply. Fellowship with Jesus is realized by fellowship with his beloved. Simply that. You see, as Christians, um, we believe Jesus is the resurrected king. And we believe that it is through him whom we, the beloved of God, can have fellowship with God. And our fellowship with God is real, as experienced in the here and now. It is grasped in the already, but not yet. It is, it is encountered in this world that we currently live in by being in fellowship with his beloved, which is so hard right now. It is by being in fellowship with the entire body of Christ, with the, with the global church and the local church. And the beautiful thing about this truth, the, the amazing reality of it all, is that fellowship with the beloved of God is designed to cross barriers, to transcend hurt, and to include the marginalized. So what I'm going to do in the next 20 minutes or so is going to break down these three concepts. Um, how the fellowship of believers was always designed by God to cross barriers, to transcend hurt, and include the marginalized. So when I say that the fellowship of believers that allows us to uh, have fellowship with our king, with our Christ, uh, how it's supposed to cross barriers, I want us to turn to the second half of verse 11. And it simply says this. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. And they've been a comfort to me. Now, as Matt read for us, these folks that Paul is referring to are Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice, also known as Jesus. Um, And these are all the guys that he mentions that are part of Team Paul. And we don't know much about Justice. This is really the only mention of him in the Bible. We know a little bit about Aristarchus. Aristarchus is a cool story in Acts chapter 19. tells of this silversmith riot. Basically, Paul and his evangelistic efforts had produced so many people coming to Christ that as a result, the silver idol business was tanking and the silversmith got angry, started a riot, and Aristarchus was there. We know a bit about Mark, Barnabas' cousin as well, and we're going to get back to him in a little bit. Beyond that, these three partners in ministry also had one other thing in common with each other, and that they were the only men of the circumcision in, on Team Paul. And, and these were the only, other, in other words, Jewish, those of Jewish descent working in ministry with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Now, I, I want to point out a, a nuance in the original Greek phrasing of this Basically, one could read this passage as these three were the only Jewish Christians on team Paul, or you could read it as these three were the only Jewish Christians among all the other 
Jewish Christians around me on Team Paul, on Paul's ministry team. And, and I tend to lean towards the more expansive reading of this because of something Paul wrote to the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 14 to 18, Paul writes this. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. See, Paul's pointing out that not everyone does ministry his way. And he gets it. He acknowledges that. He knows that. He acknowledges that, that there are other Jewish Christians out there who are, who are advancing the cause of Christ. You know, he's not totally sure that they are working in a spirit-filled devotion for, for the good news of redemption by grace. But he is sure of this. He's not, they are not working with him. But ultimately, Paul's kind of okay with that. Because Christ is being proclaimed, and in that, Paul rejoiced. And because of what he wrote to the church in Philippi, I look at this passage, what Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, and I, and I think that what he's trying to point out is that these three were the only Jewish Christians on Team Paul among all the other Jewish Christians in the area. And I mention this nuance because the fellowship of believers that allows us to realize fellowship with our Savior is supposed to cross barriers. And you see at the, this end of his letter where he has all these shout-outs, he includes Tychicus, Onesimus, Epaphras, Luke, and Demas. And if Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice are the only Jewish Christians on his ministry team, that means all these other folks are Gentiles. So is it possible that Paul is highlighting the distinction between his Jewish and his Gentile ministry team members because there are some racist Christians out there? Is it possible that he was throwing a little shade on those who have a problem with the understanding that the gospel of grace is intended for all to hear? Whether Jew, Greek, circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, man, woman, black, white, yellow, brown. Was it possible that Paul was bringing to the forefront an understanding that the majority church culture of the time, which were the Jews, that the majority church culture, like us today, need to let go of their biases and their prejudices against the minority to understand that we are called to overcome these prejudices in light of the redemptive and restorative work of Christ's death on the cross and the resurrection from the grave. Because you see, the fellowship of believers that allows us to realize fellowship with our Savior and our King, it is supposed to cross the barriers that Christ has already broken down. It also is supposed to transcend hurt. And I want to explain what I mean by that by looking at Mark, the other Jewish Christian. And I'm going to do that by taking a look at Mark's backstory. We're going to dive into Acts for a moment. 
And in the book of Acts, there's a story uh, in Jerusalem of another apostle, Peter, how he escaped from prison with the help of an angel. And and during this escape, uh, I like this story because the angel comes up to Peter and just hits him on the side, it says. I imagine the side of the head. And guides him out past a bunch of guards and a locked door. And the whole time, Peter thinks it's a vision, it's a dream. Oh, it's a beautiful dream. I wish it were real. And suddenly when he's standing outside, Acts chapter 12, verse 11 and 12 simply reads, when Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. It's kind of an aha moment. And when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. So Mark, also known as John, sometimes called John Mark, he was fairly tight with the disciples back in the day. And we see that later on in verse 25 of the same chapter that Saul, who is the author of this letter to the Colossians, and Mark's cousin Barnabas, they are wanting to go back to Antioch and they want to bring Mark along with them. In verse 25, it reads, And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. And so you're reading on in Acts, you see the stories of how Saul, who has now changed his name to Paul. So Paul and Barnabas, are, they're traveling around, they're sharing the good news of the gospel, bringing people to know our Savior, when suddenly Mark decides to, as Otua once ta- taught me, he decides to dip or bounce uh, or, or just leave. He just disappears in the middle of their journey. Now, now Barnabas It's his cousin. He's like, ah, it's not a big deal. But Paul, Paul had a major problem with this. And we read in Acts chapter 15, verse 36 to 40. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought, hmm. Best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. So you see Mark abandoning Paul and Barnabas in the middle of a missions trip, that just did not sit well with Paul at all. And there was a deep rift between these two Christian brothers. You know, it would be be like Gimli suddenly deciding for no reason at all to abandon the Fellowship of the Rings. That's the Lord of the Rings reference. Uh, It would be like Hermione deciding that she didn't want to stick around with Harry and Ron anymore. That's a a Harry Potter reference. Um, You know, these two continued to be actively engaged in God's work. Mark went on to write the gospel that bears his name. We just finished studying it a few months ago. But there was a serious hurt and mistrust between these two. And then we come to the end of Paul's letter. And, and there's, there's Mark. And Paul says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, Welcome him. Paul's second letter to Timothy in chapter 4, verse 11, Paul mentions Mark as well. He says this of Mark, Get Mark. Bring him with you, for he's very useful to me for ministry. 
Twelve years had passed since that moment of sharp disagreement between Paul and Mark. A parting of ways. And in that time, a miracle happens and we see that there is true reconciliation, a redeemed relationship between these two Christian brothers, between Paul and Mark. You see, when your heart, when my heart is fully filled with Christ, there's no more space for hurt. when, When the fullness of Christ, who is preeminent and supreme, when the fullness of Jesus, who is fully God, when the fullness of my Savior lives within me, there's no more space for hurt and it allows me to transcend the pain. See, we live in a stressed and stratified world. There, there are absolutely Christians out there that I know, we know, love Jesus, but the way they approach, the way they demonstrate that love for Jesus, so different from how I do it or how you do it. And so we often, in sharp disagreement with each other, we separate, we go our separate ways. Whether it's, maybe it's politics, or how we address the issue of injustice, or or how we love the lost like Jesus does. It's just so different. And the differences, unfortunately, cause anger, cause pain, cause hurt. We, we, We think questions like, how could she not join with me in advocating like I do? Or how could he not come with me on this protest march? Or, or how do they, could they possibly believe that that political party is going to fight for the glory of God? But here's the thing. At the heart of it all must be this common understanding. You see, the will of God is for heaven, the upside-down kingdom to be foreshadowed on earth by the diversity of the body of Christ. See, I'm not just talking about diversity of race. I'm talking about diversity of culture, of style, of music, method. See, the church of Jesus Christ is a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-stylistic church that is unified together by one truth, one God, one spirit, one savior. And, and, and the design of God is for fellowship with him, with our king, with our savior to be realized by a fellowship of believers that transcends the hurt that has been, it's been pushed out that Jesus has replaced with his peace. So the fellowship of believers that allows us to realize fellowship with our king, with our savior, is supposed to cross the barriers that Christ has already destroyed. It's supposed to transcend the hurt that Jesus has replaced with his peace. And finally, it's supposed to include the marginalized. And I want to look at one person among, among the non-Jews that Paul gives a shout out to here in verse 14. Simply it says, Luke, the beloved physician greets you. And in that little statement, Paul provides a bit of insight into Luke that up until this point, many may not have realized. First is this, Luke is not a Jew. The second, Luke is a doctor. Now, both are extremely important to understand because it provides a bit of context into the person of Luke, the author of both the gospel that bears his name as well as the Acts of the Apostles. And these are two major, big books. They take up nearly a quarter of the New Testament. And based on these two truths, he's not a Jew and he's a doctor, we actually can realize that Luke was part of the minority. See, Luke was among 
the marginalized, more than likely this key player of Team Paul was probably a slave. See, back in the day, doctors, not a big deal, which is a different thing today. I know, and I so appreciate the efforts and the heroics of our frontline critical care workers and all that you're doing to help care for the dying and be able to get us to all meet together in person one day. I appreciate that. But back then, being a doctor, that was gruesome. In more recent history, like the 1300s, I think, it was barbers and butchers who were called on to perform the duties of a surgeon because it was just about hacking up body parts. You know, and, that's, and in ancient Rome, the cost of being a doctor, it was too prohibitive for the poor. And at the same time, the act was too gruesome for the rich. And, and I, ho- I hate the fact that this, I have to say this, it may trigger something, and I apologize, but the rich would basically take their, their smarter slaves, train them up to be doctors, and rent them out the opposite of an HMO kind of thing. So this dear friend of Paul, this beloved confidant of the apostle, would have been considered in in the eyes of other Jews as a nobody. This beloved one of God was, was among the marginalized, likely ostracized. But Luke was part of team Paul. He he was part of the fellowship of believers that was encouraged by and was encouraging other believers. He he was a constant companion to Paul through Macedonia, Palestine, shipwrecked together on the way to Rome. He's seen it all with Paul. And Paul's relationship with Luke, this fellowship of brothers, it allowed each to realize that fellowship with God must include the marginalized. My wife, Suzette, and I, uh, we have had the opportunity to travel to Zambia every year since 2013, except this one, uh, with an organization that Church of the Beloved now partners with is called Hands at Work. And Hands at Work is an organization that's uh, based in South Africa, and it focuses its efforts on providing what they call scaffolding to help local Christians love and care for the marginalized and the vulnerable, the, the widows and the orphans that have been left behind by the ongoing AIDS pandemic in Southern Africa. And One of the communities that we've had the honor to spend time with, to encourage and walk with over the last seven years is a community in the bush called Zimba. And Suzanne and I, we've really come to love the children there, as well as the women and the men from the local churches who are giving their time and efforts there. The very first year that we went out there, uh, we had to hike in because the the rainy season washed out the roads, and I'm very generous with that term. And we walked in, and, and I met a young woman there in her late teens, I'm going to call her Julie. And Julie was sitting in a wagon that had pedals in the front, and I learned that it was in basically an all-terrain wheelchair, very common uh, in Zambia. She'd been born without the use of her legs. Uh, Julie's family had abandoned her very early on. She had, they left her to fend for herself for most of her life, and, and unfortunately, the only way that she knew how to do that was to allow others to care and feed for her in return for raping her. And this is what she knew. This is what she had grown up with until one of the local care workers, one of the uh, fellowship of believers from a local church started to spend time with her, to care for her, to love her, and bring her into the fellowship of believers. Another dear sister of mine in a community called Mulenga, we were sitting down together in a makeshift hut, and she was telling me the story of her life and how she had been diagnosed with HIV. And as a result, her entire family had abandoned her. 
And as she was telling me her story, she shared of how it was the fellowship of believers that looked beyond the stigma, looked beyond the differences that society refused to, and they saw a beloved child of God. They cared for her and for her three kids. Today, they have hope in the love of Christ. I think of the, the man that my wife, Suzette, came across. He was laying half naked in the sun, left there to die by his family because his AIDS had become full-blown. And he was just too much trouble to care for anymore. And the fellowship of believers that she was walking with, they looked at this man and said, this is a child of God, a beloved child of God. And they picked him up and carried him to the clinic. You see, the fellowship of believers that allows us to realize fellowship with our Jesus, with our King, is supposed to cross the barriers that Jesus has already destroyed. It's supposed to transcend the hurt with the peace that Jesus provides and is supposed to include the marginalized that Jesus so loves. This passage, it gives us insight, a glimpse into team Paul. And just as there was a team Paul, I'm telling you that there is a team David and a team Grace and a team Gabor and a team Diane. Basically, put your name there. There is a team you. And I pray and I know that you are part of team someone else because it is by this team that you are called to realize fellowship with our Savior and our Father in heaven. I mentioned at the start of our time, Suzette and I, we took this Long, huge, circular walk through Wicker Park, uh, Bucktown, Ukrainian Village. And according to our phones, we did a six-mile loop. I think uh, Otua did a one-block loop. It, it was the most beautiful thing and painful thing for us. Because what we did is we allowed the fellowship of believers, we allowed communion with community, socially distant FaceTime with our family to provide us a glimpse a fellowship with our Savior, a fellowship that, that crosses barriers and transcends hurts and includes the marginalized. And I'm telling you now that this is the same fellowship that you are called to as well. It's not a fellowship that you can create or manhandle or manipulate into being. It is a fellowship that is wholly based on a faith that fully acknowledges it is not by your will and it is not by my might and it is not by our strength at all it is a fellowship that is created by faith in God created by the power of Christ's redemptive act on the cross you see this new community this multicultural multiracial multiethnic multistylistic multigenerational upside down kingdom is going to come down and Christ will reign one day but until that day we have the opportunity the chance to live it right now a flavor of it right now so this is my challenge to everyone listening, as we end our study in this letter to the church in Colossae, I am asking, I'm begging you, embrace the discomfort of this fellowship. Because I know that a fellowship with believers that crosses barriers and transcends hurts and includes the marginalized, this is not an easy ask. Because it will require us to love the unfamiliar. It will require us to care for the different. It will sometimes require us to forgive the unforgivable. But it requires us to do this not by our own ability. Thank God that this type of fellowship is only possible in Christ. So I'm asking you to hold on 
to the Holy One because it is only by the power of God that you can experience the fellowship with believers that crosses barriers that Jesus has already destroyed, that transcends the hurts that Jesus replaces with his peace, and that includes the marginalized that Jesus so loves. I'm going to ask you to pray with me now.